electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this special Fed Day edition of The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans, and we're waiting on a crucial decision from the central bank. Will they hike by half a point, three quarters, or even a full point rate hike? And what will Fed Chair Jay Powell say? We'll get you all the very latest. We are 59 minutes away from getting the answers to all of these questions, and markets are rallying into the event. Let's go over there to Dom Chu for the latest numbers. Rallying, but marginally so, because it is very much a wait-and-see pattern, but it doesn't take away from the fact, Kelly, that we are green across the screen, across the board. The Dow Industrial is up about 100 points, roughly about a third of 1%. The S&P 500, two-thirds of 1% gains, 25 points, 37.61 the last trade there. And the Composite Index, a.k.a. the NASDAQ, up about 1.5%, 149 points to the upside, 10,977. Now, interest rates, a key part of the overall market narrative every day, but especially on a Fed day. To that degree, to that end, the two-year note yield is ticking slightly lower, 3.33% last trade there. And then the 10-year note yield, 3.4041%. So again, that inversion is not there just yet, but it's kind of close. We'll keep an eye on that 10-year Treasury note yield. Remember, we're going back all the way back to kind of this, the highest levels since 2011 at this point here. So if you take a look at this overall picture, this is going to be a huge thing to watch with that 10-year Treasury note yield. And then tech and financials, a key focus for many traders and investors today. The bank trade, uh, a key there for many out there. J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, both up on the day so far for that big bank trade. And Apple and Amazon, when it comes to big tech, big tech-related type companies. Apple is up about two-thirds of 1%, 3% gains from Amazon. But remember, Amazon has been hit especially hard during this latest downturn in the NASDAQ. So perhaps a little bit of a catch-up trade ahead of that big Fed rate decision. Kel, I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you very much. Now, the Fed is debating what to do with rates as the economic data continue pointing to an economy that is slowing in some ways, but not by enough to really bring down inflationary pressures. Just this morning, even with the huge spike in mortgage rates, we learned that mortgage applications actually rebounded higher last week from a 22-year low. We also got the Empire State Index showing a drop overall, but prices paid moved higher. And the labor market reads were all very strong. These are the parts of the economy the Fed is trying to cool right now. Retail sales dropped this morning for the first time in five months. Consumers are spending a growing share of their dollars on gasoline and food, as you all well know. Remember, Friday's Consumer Price Index just jumped to the highest reading in four decades, and consumer sentiment plunged to a record low as inflation expectations soared higher. So where does this leave the Fed and its decision on how much to hike rates today? Joining me now are Stephen Whiting, the chief investment strategist at Citi Global Wealth Management, Annetta Markowska, chief financial economist at Jefferies, and Guy Labah, the chief fixed income strategist at Janney Montgomery Scott. And each one of you has a slightly different take on things right now, which is why it's great to have you all on board here. Steve Whiting, you're afraid they're making a mistake going too far here. Well, I would just be aware, key components of inflation are members of the index of lagging economic indicators. We are in this position now 
because the Federal Reserve eased through a boom. It's not to say that they should continue that in any way, but I'd be aware that just doing the opposite, creating a monetary policy that sets the Federal Reserve up to ease in the next recession is probably not the best way that we're going to be able to create sustained downward pressure on inflation. So there are some real risks here that the Federal Reserve has taken. Just thinking about how they're dealing with this narrative, as soon as they floated the idea of a 75 basis point uh, rate hike for a meeting, many analysts said, well, we should do 75 every meeting. So I think that's the problem. We have yet to see the effects um, of the beginning of this monetary tightening pass through to inflation. But that's what the Fed has to do. It has to look to the economy in 2023. And if you see leading uh, pieces of the economy that are interest rate sensitive, they're already showing weakness when we've only just begun in this tightening. Well, and Annetta, I'll turn to you and I'll give you props because you've been one of the most correctly hawkish people on the street about inflationary pressures all of this year. You were one of the first right off the bat after Friday's data to say not just that this should make them go 75, but we actually think they will. And we'll get confirmation in about an hour of whether that's true or not. Why do you think, citing the, with the concerns that Steve and others have raised, why do you think that move is so necessary right now? Well, thank you, Kelly. And, and to us, the, it was really not so much the CPI data, but that jump in inflation expectations at 10 o'clock on Friday that really sort of changed everything. I've been, I mean, that is a big issue for the Fed. When that number printed, it, we went from inflation being a problem to inflation being an emergency. Because remember, the Fed's case for you know why they expected inflation to slow eventually was that long-term inflation expectations were still contained and they can can no longer make that case. So I really think that Powell needs to have his whatever it takes moment and convince the markets that they actually will do whatever it takes to, to bring inflation back down. And that means hiking 75 basis points today. And, and to me, one of the big questions is I hope someone during the press conference asks the 100 basis point question, you know, and whether they would consider that for the July meeting. I don't think that Powell can take that off the table. Hmm. You know, he took 75 off the table at the last meeting and that blew up in their face. So if someone asked that question again, and I hope someone does, I, I think he has to say that it's a possibility at least. Yeah, it absolutely is the question to ask. And let's Remember, going big now looks like something even bigger if you listen to what some investors are saying. So Bill Ackerman tweeting yesterday that he would like to see the Fed do at least 75, if not 100 basis points. Uh, we had Jeff Gunlock last night saying he wants to see them raise it to 3% immediately at this meeting. So Guy Labad, these are guys who know well the market implications of what they're saying. And what's your perspective as well on whether it would actually be better for markets to have a Fed clearly more hawkish, even if they did a move that big versus one that said, well, we just kind of want to wait and see a little bit. Well, the old tech adage from a few years ago <clears throat> was uh, move quickly and break stuff. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, from the Federal Reserve standpoint, that's exactly what you don't want to happen. Uh, unless, of course, you're uh, a hedge fund type with perhaps a lot of cash available to buy distressed or stressed assets at some point down the road. Uh, to, to Steve, Mr. Whiting's point a few moments ago, right, if the Federal Reserve ends up taking too aggressive a policy, and we're definitely drifting that direction for good reasons in the interest of containing this current inflation threat, they're almost certain to hike the recession into economy by early 2023 at this point. And there's a couple of things going on which are really staving the downturn off, in my view. 
One is a huge accumulation of consumer savings, which are essentially being burnt on heavy vacation and services spending this summer. Come the end of the third, the beginning of the fourth quarter, those accumulated savings are going to be very vastly depleted. And that really removes the one last component of the economy that is providing some positive support right now. So we have a tightening Fed into the last hurrah of consumer spending, and there's very good odds that we see a material economic downturn very end of this year into the beginning of 23. Yeah, but uh, Steve Whiting, just to turn back to this point, you know, a couple of meetings ago, we were all talking about the soft landing. And in retrospect, that seems like the wrong debate to have been having, right? Is it about trying to get a soft landing or is it about conquering inflation? And I wonder if that rhetoric needs to be cleared up. So again, to a point everyone here has made, what we hear from the chair is probably more important even than what happens at the meeting. What, what do you think the most important questions are for this Fed now? So I think they need to level with the public that you can only bring inflation down gradually with monetary policy, that you can't solve the problems of a supply shock. This year, inflation's rising twice as fast as wages. Do you think this is a wage price spiral? The problem is, is if the Federal Reserve were to tighten 200 basis points at every meeting this year, trailing 12-month inflation would still be above their target. That's the problem here. We have to have a policy that we can actually sustain. And at what equilibrium for the economy? If we discourage producers, convince them that demand is going to collapse, they'll never produce to the current level of demand. So you could end up, uh, again, if you look at the sacrifice ratio, millions of unemployed people and the, and the inflation rate could be relatively little different next year. So. Uh, a lot of the signs that we have had out of the economy, we saw it in goods sector first, retail inventories are piling up, we're producing consumer goods adequately. Now we're having trouble turning the lights on in services. You're going to get past this, but you're going to have to be patient. And the Federal Reserve, I think in panicking, is not really setting the right, uh, the right message to markets. Annetta, what's your response to that? And, and what should investors keep in mind here in terms of where the level of the tenure uh, especially could go? Look, I mean, I think we all would like to see a soft landing scenario, and that's what the Fed tried to engineer. And unfortunately, again, it, it sort of blew up in their face. They tried to slow um, the pace of repricing of fixed income assets, um, and you know, and that probably contributed to the unhinging of inflation expectations. So when you see this type of inflationary dynamic, and I do see a positive feedback loop between unit labor costs with you know, prices and now inflation expectations and spending expectations as well. We saw from the New York Fed survey yesterday that spending expectations for the next year accelerated sharply from less than 8% to 9%. So there is clearly that positive feedback loop. And I think the Fed, the Fed really needs to break it. Um, you know, I, I would say that the tenure should settle somewhere between three and a half and 4%. I have a hard time seeing that yield go higher. Um, but but I would say it's probably too early to say that we're done um, repricing the rate outlook. And same question, Guy. I mean, we've seen these monstrous moves in rates. It's not the levels we're talking about. It's the speed of change, which is almost unprecedented. The mortgage rate going to 6.3% yesterday, obviously the 10-year. I mean, everything across, and the short end especially, I mean, even the T-bills have been flying. So uh, do you have any advice for investors here? Do you agree with what Annette said about where we're likely to see things settled down at, regardless of what they actually sure. do with the, the overnight rate today? 
Yeah, so, so heading into the year, we were suggesting to, uh, to our clients and our investors that we maintain a relatively short duration outlook. We anticipated rates would rise, but neither we nor, frankly, anybody else out there expected it to be so fast or so violent. I think since uh, the first Fed rate hike, it's been 125 to 130 basis points on 10-year yields just in that three-month period, which is it's wild. But going forward, the risk return is far more balanced in fixed income. At this point, even if rates drift a little bit higher, you still have enough income generation capacity from most bond portfolios to, to provide a really good cushion against higher rates. So even if rates do move a little bit higher here, I think the risks are, are balanced at the very least and uh, tilted in favor of extending durations a little bit uh, to, uh, to neutral. And uh, that outlook that I shared on economic growth at the beginning of our session, uh, there's very, very high odds that the Fed hikes us into a recession in 2023. Right? At some point, it'll be time to uh, extend more significantly and take advantage of those safe haven assets that okay. tend to do well in the early phases of a downturn. And parting question, Steve, uh, to you, what is your advice for investors, especially putting all of the global puzzle pieces together here, where we see the dollar at multi-year, if not multi-decade highs, Europe having an ad hoc meeting this morning to make sure that they were on top of fragmentation risks that might emanate from their own desire to fight inflation, but perhaps more constrained ability to do so. And just kind of the people who on the block who say to me, oh, are we supposed to be in stocks or not be in stocks? And, and, and boil it down now. What, what, do you, what do you say to folks? Well, there's a very good likelihood that investors who are going to try to time the market, we're down 20% in the broad market. Oh, I'll get uh, back in when it's just right. Chances are they're going to worsen their portfolio outcomes, especially if they try that routinely. We're staying with higher quality income producing assets. Uh, that's going to be more bonds than uh, at least U.S. bonds uh, than we've had for a very long time. Uh, you know, we've been underweight fixed income for years. Uh, we think that now it's offering two characteristics. It's offering a much better return than cash. The Federal Reserve has to do a lot, uh, a lot of tightening to catch up with the bond market. And then, unfortunately, cash yields have lagged 150 basis points behind uh, the peak Fed funds rate in the last two cycles in equities, income-producing companies that have a central demand. We're talking about the dividend growth stocks. We're talking about shares that this year are down about half as much. Uh, we'll stay boring and, and safer in quality assets. <laughs> you call it boring, but I hear you being long bonds is making me itchy just just thinking about it. But I take your point here that it's some, you know, that's that's what makes the market is you looking at that and saying Twice you will double the fun. <laughs> double <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. All right, everybody, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Steve Whiting, Aneta Markowska, Guy Laba. Coming up, rocking the foundation. As mortgage rates surge past 6%, what impact will today's Fed decision have on the housing market and the building stocks? We'll tackle both angles next. Plus, Americans are feeling inflation in everything, especially food and gas prices. Now, President Biden is calling on oil giants to increase supply to help lower prices. What's likely to happen next? We'll explain. 45 minutes until the Fed decision. The exchange is back in a couple. This is The Exchange on CNBC. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. One area where the Fed's fight against inflation is already being felt is the housing market. The rate on this 30-year mortgage surging to just under 6.3% yesterday, as we reported right here on the exchange. Look at these moves since January. As a result, we've seen new home sales falling 17% in April to the slowest pace since the start of the pandemic. Pending home sales, a broader gauge of future sales hitting a two-year low. Today's sentiment for home builders also falling for the sixth straight month to its lowest level in two years. As for the builder stocks, KB Home, DR Horton, Meritage, Lennar, they're all down more than 40% from their highs under pressure as well today. For more, I'm joined now by Lawrence Yoon. He's National Association of Realtors Chief Economist. And Kenneth Leon is CFRA's direct, Director of Research, and he downgraded the housing stocks. Uh, or builder stocks, I should say, just today. Welcome to both of you. And Lawrence, I'll start with you. Surprising to see a little bit of a rebound in mortgage applications last week. Um, what can you tell us about the state of the market? Uh, well, uh, you know, the housing market is very sensitive to interest rate changes. So more than 300 basis point increase in mortgage rate from December of last year will certainly uh, harm housing market. The sales will come down. Pending contracts have been uh, trending downwards. Prices are still uh, elevated uh, because one of the support for home prices is rents, and the rents are rising very strongly. Yeah, the rents are rising. So when, yesterday when I tweeted the mortgage rate, you know, people are shocked to, to even be aware that it's gone up to 6.3%. I don't think they've quite caught up with the velocity in these moves. And what other choices do they have? So is this going to require people to stay involved with the housing market, even if it hurts? Uh, you know, first, uh, the consumers need to run the numbers to the mortgage calculator. What may have been, say, $2,000 per month in mortgage payment for the same house the number could be $2,900 today. So one has to run the numbers to see how the financial, uh, whether a person is reaching that limit or not. And naturally, uh, with higher uh, monthly payment, that means some people are simply priced out. So they have to renew their leases. What we are hearing in the marketplace is multiple offers for rents. So if uh, some property is listed for rent, five people show up and they're scrambling to get that property. So interesting dynamics. Wow. So now the bidding wars are for rented homes uh, or rents in general. So we saw yesterday news from both Redfin and Compass mortgage brokers that they're laying off around 10 percent of their workforce. Redfin said they think that we could see a sales slowdown that lasts years, not months. I think the crucial question is whether that means prices are going to fall or not. What's your gut telling you? 
so first part is that inflation is terrible, but inflation does provide a hedge for real estate. So we saw that in the 1970s, early 1980s, when inflation was high, and even when Paul Volcker raised the mortgage rate up to 18%, that home prices did not decline on a nationwide basis. So high rents, high inflation does provide support, but that's not a good news because we want to have a better affordability with lower interest rate. So anything to bring down the consumer price inflation, whether drilling more oil, because oil price dynamic currently is driving up inflation. So we have to consider all the supply, uh, you know, even on the macroeconomic basis, so that the inflation pressure lessen and thereby mortgage rates can begin to stabilize. Right, because in other words, mortgage rates going lower, the only way you think housing might get more affordable at this rate. That's really interesting. Uh, Lawrence, thanks for your time today. We'll check back in soon. Thank you. Lawrence Yun. Let's turn now to Ken Leon to drill down further on the home builder stocks. He is research director at CFRA, and he lowered his price target on four of these names about in the past 24 hours. Ken, it's good to have you. Why haven't we already priced in a heck of a lot of bad news here? How much more uh, do you think these stocks could drop? Yeah, so actually last month, <clears throat> we, we went from positive to neutral on, on the housing market and home builders. And our, our action today is looking out over the next 12 to 18 months. Housing is not one that goes up and down every few weeks or months. The macro picture is all the, all the key indicators are going to continue to be weaker month over month, year over year. Home builder sentiment today notched down two to 67. 50 is positive or green, but the home, traffic to selling communities was 47, that's red. The new residential sales from government show all categories month over month, year over year, down, except for 750,000 to a million or a million in terms of categories. Those are likely to fade too. You know, so 6% mortgage rate plus, and it will go higher, is demand destruction. Uh, most of the analysts covering these stocks are still bullish over two thirds. Their target prices are still way too high. Uh, we mostly went to whole recommendations in the home building stocks. And it's from our experience, this isn't the 2008 housing crisis, but it's going to be a tough period sure. uh, with recession. So you just heard Lawrence saying he's not sure home prices are going to drop and that that's a problem in some ways, because then if rates are high and prices are high, people aren't going to be able to get into these properties. What's your expectation for prices and for earnings of the builders? Do you expect them to drop this year? Well, the bold case is there's a million homes needed in the U.S., but that's been true for 10, 12 plus years. Uh, pricing is likely to come down perhaps 5%. But when you talk to the home building industry, it's pace and price. So if the entire home building industry was Boeing, think of backlog that and orders that continue to wither or go down so that the comps get to be less and less attractive. If you sum it up and let me be the equity analyst, when you look at year over year on revenues, home building uh, companies will have 25 to 30% revenue growth in 2022 year over year. Next year, it's only gonna be two to 4%. Wow. And that's what the market is looking at, where the fundamentals are for home builders as we go to 2023. Yeah, and I can imagine if, if revenue is only two to 4% growth, it doesn't sound like expense uh, or uh, profits are gonna be able to, to grow much past that. So 
I suppose, you know, when we get tactical, a name like NVR often comes up as one that's a little <laughs> bit better situated than the others. Is there differentiation for you between the names uh, in terms of maybe a, a part of the market they're exposed to or a part of the country? Um, you know, are the, or are they all basically a concern for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And so we only have one buy, which is Toll Brothers, which fit into my comment because they're mostly selling homes above 750,000. That will hold up a little bit better. Uh, NVR for, for CNBC viewers, don't, don't really get into it. It doesn't trade well. It's been a mystery to me why it's in the S&P 500. They never do earnings or investor calls. Uh, it's a stock to stay away from NVR. Very interesting. All right, I'll have to take that up with Bill Smead the next time that he joins us. Ken, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ken Leon with CFRA. Still ahead, how should investors position themselves for a rate hike? Should they wait for the smoke to clear before jumping into the market or go before the valuations get hot? Ariel Investments' Charlie Babrinskoy joins us later in the show. And as we head to break, let's get a check on markets. 34 minutes until the Fed decision. Dow's hanging on to a 156-point gain. NASDAQ up 1.6%. We're back in a moment. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Exchange. We have green across the board here in markets. The Dow is actually up almost 400 points this morning. We're up 178 right now with half an hour to go until the Fed decision. A percent higher for the S&P, back above 11,000 for the Nasdaq. It's up one and three quarters of a percent. Some of the individual movers we're watching include all the big uh, tech mega cap names higher ahead of the decision. Dom mentioned Amazon off the top. It's up almost 4% today. Apple, a little more modest, up 1%. It's trading around 134. The e-commerce names generally are getting a bit of of a boost today. Chewy, DoorDash, Wayfair, Etsy, all in the green. Chewy's up 6%, and it's up 16% now this month. Social media names are also popping, led by Pinterest and Snap. Pinterest up nearly 10% today. Twitter and Meta in the green as well, but all of these are down between 7 and 16% for the week. The dating app's higher as well, with Match and Bumble up 5 or 6% today. Still down about 50% from their recent highs, but we are seeing uh, a bid here on some parts of the market that have been more speculative, more reopening geared, uh, and that is what's working ahead of the Fed today. Still to come with half an hour to go until that decision on rates, the question is, what does the market want? A cautious half-point hike or a full-point surprise? We'll look at the different scenarios and five stocks my next guest likes regardless right now. And during June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month and featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here is digital video editor Justin Famolari. I identify as a transgender man. I lived so closeted in this process for so long. 
It's a different world today, you know, where being transgender is extremely visible. When I did this process, that was not the case. You know, the goal was to transition and to just be part of society. And I'm so glad that that's changed because it's given me the freedom to be who I am. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're less than half an hour away from the Fed's rate decision. And whether it's 50 or 75 basis points, investors at least agree a hike is inevitable. My next guest says, regardless, rates are still going higher. So how should you invest? Joining me now is Charlie Babrinskoy. He's the vice chair and head of the investment group at Ariel Investments. All right, Charlie, it's great to have you. We've heard our guests top of the hour say even the hawkish ones think the 10 year is going to only go maybe to three and a half or four percent from here. Do you think that's about right? Well, only 4% is quite a move. Um, we remember when you and I were on, I was just looking at old tape, you and I were on in August of, two, of 2020, the 10 year was at 50 basis points. Mm. So to go from 50 basis points two years ago to 4% is would be a massive hit to the bond market. Even another 50 basis points uh, is something like six bond points. So I think that's about right. I think in the low fours, is the number that I've been pointing at that makes sense in this kind of environment. Uh, and that's what I think is going to happen. We still have artificially low interest rates. You know, it's it's odd. I, so I, I sort of need you to, to ex explain it for me, <laughs> if you will. We have people, investors on the one hand saying, because of this inflationary environment, you have to own equities with yield. And on the other hand, we see equity yield proxies getting crushed right now because they can't keep up with what's going on in the bond market. So do you want exposure to those names or not? You don't. I mean, there is some overlap. People who are worried about the economy will sometimes go into defensive industries like utilities, which do have higher dividends. So there's a couple of effects going on. But fundamentally, these bond substitute stocks got overpriced when interest rates were so low, when people were searching for yield. Searching for yield, stretching for yield is one of the big mistakes that investors often make. Uh, you buy securities at prices above what they're intrinsically worth. That happened to utilities. So no, we would not be recommending people buy dividend, high dividend yielding stocks today because interest rates are going to keep going up. So it, it leaves people with what options then if they go, okay, well, you know, I got out of, let's say, high valuation or frothy parts of the market. I tried to go to safety, but now those are getting killed because of rates. And you're telling me that they're still not safe. So where are they supposed to go? Cyclicals? Well, yeah, you should try and see what's out of favor in the market. And, and nobody's going to do well by focusing on the next couple of months, particularly when people are panicking and they are panicking right now. You have to try and take a longer term perspective. The market right now is crushing any kind of cyclical stock, any kind of stock that's considered economically sensitive. The market is now baking in, in our opinion, close to a 75 percent chance of a recession. I will acknowledge the chance of a recession is up, probably close to 50-50, but there are great companies that are somewhat cyclical that are trading at single-digit PEs. And you know, you have my list of those names. They're going to be great in the long run. You need to be a long-term investor. You can't try to trade this short term. Goldman, one of the I mean, Goldman's trading at less than book. Of several of MSGE, I was thinking about you as well with Paramount lately and the success of Top Gun. But a couple of the names that you really like are in the energy space and APA, uh, she said, Mosaic, Mohawk, Mohawk, a little different story. Are these still stocks that people can own if they have to chase what's already been a period of substantial returns? And they have now this uh, political risk coming from Washington. 
Yeah, uh, Apache uh, changed its name to APA, and it, it's a, a wonderful oil and gas exploration company trading at about five times earnings. It's trading for five times earnings because the people think there's going to be a recession um, and that demand for oil will come down. In the short run, that could happen, but in the longer run, uh, oil could drop all the way down to 80, 90, and Apache's still going to make a lot of money. Mosaic is the fertilizer company. What they have in common is they hold their value, they increase their value in inflationary times. And that's what obviously we have right now. And the market is assuming a recession, which is why both those names are trading so cheap. Mohawk is trading for less than 10 times earnings. That's a carpeting company. We think there might be a short-term demand uh, challenge, but longer term housing is very strong. People have big gains in their homes. Mm. They're going to be uh, improving those homes with better vinyl tile, uh, better hardwoods, and better carpeting. And Mohawk is going to be fine in the long run. Final comment as, again, someone who has seen so many different feds and market cycles and is well aware of the risks they're running today. Would you like to see a half point hike err on the side of caution or a full point, quote unquote, surprise? Somewhere in between 75, 50 basis points. The Fed is so behind the curve here and they're doing the wrong thing. We Inflation is not here because we have an overheated economy. If anything, the economy got softer. It declined in the first quarter. It's probably only up 1% in the second quarter. It's not an overheated economy. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. They increased the money supply by 42%, which was insane. The worst thing we can do here is to send the economy into a recession. That's just going to be stagflation. They are just so far behind. I'm frankly just disappointed in the Fed. So that you're, it doesn't matter what they do today? <laughs> the goose is cooked? Yeah, they, yeah inflation is, is here, and a 50 or 75 basis point is not going to make a big difference. Sure, sending the economy into a recession would, all else equal, put pressure downward on inflation. Okay, that's a big price to pay for their mistakes in the past. What they should be doing is taking cash out of the system. Instead, they're doing this tiny quantitative tightening of $15 billion on a $9 trillion balance sheet. They're just uh, looking at the wrong factor. So maybe you'd like to see them lean more to the balance sheet side. That would be another great Absolutely. question for the Fed uh, next hour. All right, Charlie, thank you. Good to see you today. Thanks, Kelly. Charlie Babrinskoy. Coming up, it's not just the rate hike that could be more aggressive than expected. One economist also expects increasingly hawkish sentiment elsewhere in today's decision. He'll explain next. As we go to break, two big interviews coming up after the Fed decision. Former National Economic Council Director Gary Cohn on closing bell at 3 p.m. Then at 4 p.m. Eastern on overtime, double lines Jeffrey Gunlock. He's calling for a 200 basis point hike today. You don't want to miss it. We're back in a moment. We're just about 20 minutes away from the Fed decision with major firms like Goldman, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo and Barclays all calling or expecting a 75 basis point hike today. Wells also warning that tightening won't just come from a hike. They're watching for increased hawkishness via a, quote, meaningful upward shift in the dot plot. Joining me now to discuss is Wells Fargo's chief economist, Jay Bryson. Jay, we forgot about the dots uh, and we shouldn't. Uh, what are you going to be looking for there? Yeah, no, the dots are very important because it's kind of forward guidance. It tells us what the Fed's thinking. And so right now, if you look at where we're in the last dot plot, which was in March, that, that was between 175 and 2. I mean, we think, it, you know, the median dot, if you will, we think it's going to end up somewhere between 325 and 350. And, and if that's right, that implies another 175 basis points from here spread out over four meetings. So that'll be very, 
very key for our view on, on where the Fed is going forward. Yeah, so do you think, where are they going? You know, we've talked a lot about how fast they're going to get there, but where are they going? You think they're going to 4%? Uh, I think you could definitely see 4%. Now, does it happen this year? I, I don't think it does. I mean, I think you're going to see a 4% sort of number early, say, next year. But, uh, it'll, you know, again, if, if uh, right now the market is priced for, say, 375 at the end of the end of the year, if the median dot goes to 4, and again, that's not our expectation, but if it were to go to 4, I think that would be a very, very hawkish signal. Well, our last guest said he would actually, and he's, you know, a longtime investor, said he would prefer the Fed to do more on the balance sheet or, or quantitative tightening side than on interest rate hikes. What would you prefer to see? And, and what do you think are the trade-offs between each of those tools? So the problem with the, the balance sheet is the effects there just aren't as well understood as with rate hikes. We have a long period of rate hikes and rate cuts. We can kind of you know quantify how much effect that has on the economy. With the balance sheet, it's a little bit more unknown. And so could we see a balance sheet you know, um, runoff today or increase in a runoff today? Yeah. I don't think that's likely because the Fed, you know, the last uh, meeting said, here's our plan. We're going to stick to this. This plan, and so I don't think they're going to really surprise the market with you know rate raising the runoff in the balance sheet. But during the press conference today, Chair Powell potentially could allude to that um, if a question comes up about that. There was recent research that said about two trillion dollars of, of balance sheet tightening over three years would be equivalent of anywhere from about a 0.3 to a 0.9 percent rate hike. In other words, it's not that much. Do you think that's broadly right that, you know, it doesn't pack as much of an interest rate punch um, or or could it? I mean, you know, these things are we've only been through this once before and that one ended with the repo crisis. Right, right. And so, you know, again, if you think about that range there, 0.3 to 0.9, I mean, yeah, Kelly, you're right. In some sense, it's not all that much, but that's a pretty big range, you know, when you when you think about it. And all, you know, already there's been a significant amount of tightening in financial markets. Credit spreads have widened pretty dramatically. You know, the, the stock market or most major stock indices are in bear market territory. The dollar has strengthened. These are all signs of financial tightening already. And so if you throw on top of that, you know, an acceleration of the shrinkage of the balance sheet, you can have a lot of tightening coming at you whose effects aren't all that well known, and there could be long variable lags in there as well. Is there any reason for the Fed to go slowly as it raises from the current 0.75 to almost 1% range, which we can all acknowledge is too low for this economy, to something upwards of maybe 3%, maybe 4%? I mean, what is the case for doing it you know, 50 versus 75 versus 100 basis points at a time. Well, so I think the case is the way the Fed thinks about it is the so-called neutral Fed funds rate. Um, so they want to clearly get to neutral, and probably they need to get into a little bit of a restricted territory right now. And so some folks would say, and I think I largely agree with this, the faster you get back to neutral, the more you slow the economy, the more you can potentially take some inflationary impulses out of the economy. If you really delay here and you continue to overstimulate the economy, you're going to end up with an even higher inflation rate. We're going to end up looking like the, the 1970s again. And the way the 1970s ended was with a significant tightening in the early 1980s that put us in a very, very deep recession. So if you can get out in front of it right now, if you do go into recession, knock on wood, hopefully the recession isn't as deep as if you have to do a lot of uh, tightening, significantly more tightening later on. Almost sounds like Jeff Gunlock. He said they should raise it to 3% today.
Well, I, I think that's all due respect to Mr. Gunlock. I mean, I don't th certainly I don't think that's not going to happen today. And I don't know if you necessarily want to go that fast. Uh, but, you know, 75 sounds like the right clip right now. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they're talking about already in the press conference, if they're talking of, of potentially another 75 in July. What is most important to listen for from the Fed chair as he begins his presser? Well, so remember, when he's talking to the press, he'll be speaking on behalf of the committee, not just for himself right there. And so if he comes out talking really hawkish, then that tells you that the consensus on the committee right now is to continue to be hawkish, to continue to raise at an aggressive sort of pace. So the more hawkish language he uses tells me that's where the other FOMC members are right now. And, and real quickly, but is there any, I mean, do they need the unemployment rate to go higher from here, basically, in order to slow the labor market down enough to really get a handle on inflation? Yeah, and, and so that's the trick. Uh, how much higher does the unemployment rate have to go from here? I mean, if it shoots up significantly higher, then you're in a recession. Uh, but it probably d does need to go a little bit higher here to take some of those wage gains or to, to decelerate some of the wage gains that we've seen recently. All right, Jay. With 13 minutes to go, we thank you for your time. We'll let you, you go. Jay Bryson of Wells Fargo. Still ahead, President Biden telling oil companies they need to help reduce the burden of record high gas prices. Is a windfall tax or a ban on stock buybacks next? The details and how it will impact our energy sector. Welcome back, everybody. Nine minutes and change until the big Fed decision on interest rates. Remember, that's at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We get the statement. We get the projections or the dots that we were talking about a moment ago. Then we have a half an hour break at 2.30 p.m. is when the press conference with Chair Jay Powell begins. Could be just as consequential. He will lay out there uh, the central bank's future intentions or goals when it comes to inflation and the economy. In the meantime, let's check on markets. We are seeing stocks positive, but let's get a look at the energy space where we're still seeing WTI crude down about 1.7% today, but at 117 a barrel, still an elevated price that has the national average for gasoline above $5 a gallon around record highs. Also keep an eye on natural gas prices here, up 5% today as we are seeing Russia cut supplies to Italy and to Germany through the Nord Stream gas pipeline. UK nat gas prices are jumping over 30% today. Uh, the European benchmark up about 16% as well. Again, here in the U.S. where we're oversupplied and one of our key LNG export facilities is shut down, our prices are only up 5%. Here are stocks. The Dow is up 142 points, the S&P up 31, and the Nasdaq up 173 into the meeting. Again, we're coming off uh, almost 10-week string of losses, only a couple of bright spots in the meantime. So there has been a significant correction into this event. 10-year note, 3.414%. So the session high yesterday was around 3.48 or so, if memory serves, not quite 3.5%. Uh, we will be closely watching this in just a couple of minutes' time. Power Lunch will pick up our coverage on the Fed decision and the press conference from Chair Powell in just a moment after this quick break. Stay with us. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.